I can't trust the system. I can trust the nurse next to me to a degree, but can I trust the system? No. And I think that is a really, really hard thing. If you look at the, the factors leading to burnout, well, that's it. That's one of the biggest thing, that you're hopeless and powerless in your system, that you're, that you're afraid and that there's constantly pressure on you uh, and you're torn to be everything for everyone. And that's exactly how you create burnout. So no surprise. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan they can't eat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cup of Nurses show with your hosts, Peter and Matt here. Thank you, everyone, for taking their time and listening to our episodes. We really do appreciate that. And if you find value in this podcast, please give it a like, comment, or subscribe. Even on Spotify, go smash the five stars. That is what ranks us on the algorithms, and it keeps on motivating us to produce this high-quality content, and we keep on rolling with the show. We're in episode 151 already, so thank you, everyone. If you want to find any announcements or any information about the Cup of Nurses and what we do, check out the episode show notes, all the descriptions there, the Cup of Nurses shops there, the We Are Frontline Warriors is there, which is our conscious movement. It is all, all there. And check out our YouTube channel where we're debriefing every single week, talking about our shifts and how they're going. Uh, those are doing really great on there and give us a sub. And also... We're working on this big project that's be, that's going to be coming out in Q1 of 2022. We're working really diligently hard, and it is uh, Pronto, P-R-N-T-O. And it is the app that we're working on to innovate and revolutionize healthcare for all medical professionals. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. Another guest today, we have Stefan Neff. He is the author of My Steps Sobriety. Uh, we discuss topics like depression, anxiety, him dealing with alcoholism, as well as some of the the current states and the current way healthcare is is moving along. So make sure you guys tune in. All right, Stefan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and some some um, background of your job and just what you do? <laughs> well, I'm an anesthetist. Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here and actually share a little bit about my journey. I'm an anesthetist. Uh, I studied in, in Heidelberg in Germany. It's a lovely university there. Um, but then, you know, I, I just became a, a baby doctor when the wall came down and suddenly you had doctors for Africa. You could get a doctor to mow your lawns because there are so many of us and to get a job was virtually impossible. So we had times in Germany at that time. So I ended up in the UK, um, found there a Coventry Rose. In other words, uh, I met my wife in Coventry and uh, my future wife. And we decided, now nah, England is not good. And looked around the world and yeah, we came here, had a good time, moved back to Australia um, to do further fellowship training, 
back to the UK, left around the world, essentially, and nowadays back here in New Zealand, and because it's a fantastic country. So if you ever, guys, if, if you ever want to come to us, please, yes, it, we have a cup of coffee, and I'll show you, show you the good stuff here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've always wanted to go like New Zealand and, and Australia. But before the show, you mentioned you're a, you're a private narcissist. How is, is that different from like a public one? How does that, that work? Uh, we have got an, an, a public system where basically everyone can go. And then there's the private healthcare system where you have to have private insurance in or have to pay yourself. And the advantage is that there is no waiting, that there is no messing around. Whilst in the public system, uh, often there are problems. There are waiting lists. So if you have got a problem with a, let's say, with your hip and you need a hip joint replacement, well, there can be many months or in, in some places in this country maybe a year or longer as a waiting list and there's some very creative accounting happening uh, where the bar is being shifted depending upon how many slots there are and suddenly you really have to be completely incapacitated in, in a wheelchair before you even get anywhere close to an operating theater and that's of course not very nice you know you use it or you lose it and therefore a lot of people then go private and that's where where the money is for an anesthetist or for a surgeon and in all fairness i i loved my anesthesia i loved the, those aspects that were trauma related and emergency related i became an instructor for any kind of these alphabet courses from ATLS to ACLS, you name it, I, I taught it because that was really me. I loved the, the, the you know, three o'clock in the morning emergency in the ED, chaos everywhere. That was me. That, I loved that aspect. So, but that is all public system and I've done all the heroics. So now it's time to, to look at wealth and to look at where do I want to be when I grow up? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, 100%. I can attest to that because I, cause my, I have family in Poland and one of my family members needed a, needed a surgery. And um, I was talking to my mom about it because, you know, here in the States, you just kind of go and they, if it's emergent enough, they can take it the same day or you wait maybe like a week or, or two weeks. Now with the pandemic, you might have to wait maybe a little bit longer. But if it's just like if you're coming for like a broken bone, they usually almost get you in the same day or something. Yeah. But in Poland, it was my family member needs some kind of a gastric surgery or something like that. And like the waiting time was was over a month. And it's crazy. They had, they had to do the whole private thing where they basically paid out of pocket, you could say. And then they went to a, to a private surgeon, uh, got seen by a private doctor. And then that was quicker. They got seen like within, you know, four or five, five days, which was which was crazy. And that's the first time I ever heard about it because <clears throat> here in the States, it's all we just have one system. And like in Poland and other places in Europe, they like that, that two system, the public and, uh, and the private. If you have money, then you have the luxury to kind of do these things. And then if you're in the public system where you're kind of poorer, not as wealthy, then, you know, you're kind of, it's, it's, it's cheaper. It's, it's almost free, but that you gotta, you gotta wait those lines though. And it doesn't always, you know, accommodate for everybody. And we are a small country. New Zealand is what, 5 million people. And there is only a certain amount of money. There is a certain amount of, of space there in the healthcare system for you to actually um, have your operation. And you have to realize that we we simply are not big enough. We are simply are not, there is not, there are not the funds to be there ready for you, have 20 extra surgeons and more importantly, the theater staff, the nurses, the anesthetic technicians. These are often the, 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 the bottleneck that's 
stops people actually having uh, successful surgery and getting on with their life. And we're talking elective surgery, uh, but even acute surgery, sometimes that can take several days where you're fasted and then it's six o'clock at night and the nurse comes to you and says, sorry, you were bumped by another cesarean section. You won't get done tonight. Um, that's reality. And so there are sometimes patients who come to us having fasted three days, four days, and finally get their fractured neck of femur done. And it's just nuts. It's ludicrous. Um, but it is what it is because, uh, yeah, again, the, you need to protect your staff. You can't work around the clock. And we know it from the English system um, that acute surgery done by junior staff in the middle of the night has significantly increased mortality and morbidity. So therefore, I mean, it all makes sense. Yet when you're on the receiving end, when you're lying there in pain with a fractured bone, it's not pretty. So I feel for these patients uh, and I dread to be a patient. Let's put it like that. Yeah, we're in a crazy system because the population is always getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, the healthcare system doesn't grow in that same pace. So, exactly. yeah, and then it's like you're we're already shorthand to begin with and we're already kind of backlogged. And then you just add on, you know, more stress. And now you now you add the pandemic and it's even more stress on there. And you just you just never, you know, you're never, um, you know, being able to take all that water out, out of the, the, the sinking boat in time. You know, you just keep getting more holes and more holes and you're just kind of taking it with a bucket and you're trying to catch up, but you're really never catching up. Yeah. And that explains why so many nurses are voting with their feet and leaving the, the healthcare system and just say, no, nah, fuck it, I'm going to be, I'm going to go, you know, my, my husband is a farmer, I work with him on the farm or, you know, stuff like that. So it's... Uh, we see it again and again. Right? Yeah, I'm not sure. We're actually seeing it this year in 2022 when there's supposed to be a 1.1 million nursing shortage in the United States. So, wow. you know, if we think that we're in a pandemic and things are rough on our healthcare system, we're about to really see it this year. It's kind of like the boiling pot that's pouring over this year, and we're going to see its um, effects, especially with uh, new grads. We're not pumping out enough uh, nurses. They're not graduating enough. And the ones that are graduating their first year, I think there's over 30% drop in you know, just burn out and leaving the, um, the bedside. Yeah, there's like half a million nurses are supposed to retire. And then there's only like a quarter of a million of, of, new, of, new, of new nursing students. So we're not even able to cover the nurses that are retiring, not to mention people, the nurses that are just leaving bedside in general. Luckily, I feel like, I'm not sure I was in New Zealand, but there's something called travel nursing here, where you get you could get a different nursing license in a different state, and you could go travel there, and usually it, it's more lucrative. So we have almost like that is like the glue holding bedside together because a lot of nurses are leaving their staff positions and they're going to travel nurse because they can make more money. And, you know, it's, it's still rough, stressful, but at least you're getting paid two or three times more than your staff position. So that's like almost holding it together, but it can only hold it for so long. It's the same here. We call it agency, agency nursing. And my wife uh, was uh, intensive care, pediatric intensive care, etc. So she's a nurse uh, and then went lecturer and then went agency. And Christ, I mean, she would receive uh, messages on her phone. Can you cover maternity, um, ops and gynae, uh, physician, uh, internal medicine, surgery, orthopedics, all in the same day, in the same hospital, um, that would give you an idea how short the hospital is. And there are sometimes new grads who are running a night shift in maternity who have fucking no clue 
for crying out loud, how can they? Um, yet they have a full ward, maybe with even one or two sick people there. And it is, you think, you're joking me. You're setting these junior nurses or senior nurses, any nurse, up to fail. And then guess what happens? A mistake occurs. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that nurse will be protected? That nurse will be supported? That nurse will be nurtured through that? Nah, she will be hung up to try. No, that is, and that is that is the the problem. So there is this feeling of, of I can't trust the system. I can trust the nurse next to me to a degree, but can I trust the system? No. And I think that is a really, really hard thing. If you look at the, the factors leading to burnout, well, that's it. That's one of the biggest thing, that you're hopeless and powerless in your system, that you're, that you're afraid and that there's constantly pressure on you uh, and you're torn to be everything for everyone. And that's exactly how you create burnout. So no surprise. It's an interesting perspective because if you look at war and we're kind of fighting a, an invisible war right now, um, the, the governments that are arming the frontline troops, they're actually giving them bullets and proper, you want to feed the troops because they're holding up the, you know, the invaders from coming into your country technically. So if you take that example into healthcare, how come you're not arming the frontline when they're the most valuable players in this game that are holding up the healthcare system? You're not, you're giving them uh, bad ammunition, horrible weapons. Maybe you're not even feeding them if you want to put into that perspective. How do you expect things to get better? So is this intentional where they're trying to like create havoc in the healthcare system or mm -hmm. something? Because it doesn't make truly sense if you're comparing those two, you know, um, paradigms of war and the healthcare system. Yeah, it really doesn't because like, <clears throat> I'm not sure if you've seen, but like the, the mandates for quarantine, they, they come down by half here. So it's, it's five days and it's even less if you're asymptomatic, you come in sooner. What's mind-blowing is that ju that's just for, for, for healthcare professionals. Like if you work in a corporate office or you work for finance, you, you, have, you have a different quarantine standards, but yet they're cutting down the, the nursing and like the healthcare professional standards, which is like as backwards. It's just like, wouldn't you want people that are working with, with COVID patients, with, with the sick or whatever, to have longer quarantine to make sure everyone's safe? Because, you know, if you want to show who's spreading it, you know, me going into a COVID room, you know, that's going to spread it more than somebody in a, in a financial institution walking around, you know, the cafeteria, right? And they're, they're cutting down on, on, on our quarantine, which is mind-blowing. And this is like the CDCs are supposed to be medical professionals leading this, these, these, uh, these policies. It is too little too late what you guys are doing. And it, it started, unfortunately, two years ago with your leadership, who is in my personal opinion, extremely responsible for where you guys are now. I mean, how many people have died now in the States? Must come about to a million. Um, yeah, so it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Add another 100,000 a year, maybe 150 next year, with regards to your, your fentanyl epidemic. Um, add a few here. I mean, that's how you basically drive a, a country into the ground. That's uh, asymmetric warfare to stick with the, the war analog. And it's just, wow. Um, hell. I mean, and that's weird for me, being, being German, I was born in 66, so, and I was born in the American occupied zone. So for me, 
American soldiers were actually the good guys, were the guys who had helped us out when there was the Berlin blockade, when, when Russia really wanted to sort of put the squeeze onto Berlin. Uh, the, we called them raisin bombers. So the, the, the Allies basically had a, a, an air bridge who, who basically fed the German people. And that was in the immediate aftermath. So things like that, I know, and I, was, I always held America in very high esteem. That's no longer the case, I'm sorry to say. Um, that has gone down the train in 2016. And uh, so unfortunately, uh, and that, that's what the world now sees. And we, we look at your country with pity uh, with regards to the, the conditions under which you have to work. Um, no. And it's crazy. And like when you, so when the pandemic first came in, like <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize this is about the United States is the United States is big, but the majority of populations are, our population is in, is in major cities. So like LA, Chicago, New York, and literally, I'm not sure if you've ever been to those, those, those cities, but it's literally people living on top of each other because there's no, there's no more, there's no room to, to spread wide. You have to build up. So like when I heard that there's a pandemic coming and it's a respiratory pandemic, then I knew we we're in for a shit show because these population areas are, are so dense in these areas where you can't prevent any kind of, kind of uh, you can't really prevent COVID or any kind of respiratory disease from not, from not spreading because, because everyone is in such close proximity to each other where no matter how hard you try it, no matter if everyone wore N95s, shit would still be loose because everyone is just so dense and literally on top of each other. So that's the one thing that kind of, that kind of screwed America over, you, you could say. And now people are, ex are, are expanding to like suburbs and stuff. But back in the beginning, two years ago, three years ago, literally LA, Chicago, New York, people are living literally on top of each other. And there's a bunch of homeless there. But the thing is that you don't see homeless getting these diseases or these issues is because they're more spread out. So it's like, and LA at one point it was safer to be homeless you're, you're less of getting COVID than actually being like a, an actual productive individual <laughs> in society because you weren't living on top of each other, which is wild to think about. <laughs> I had no idea about that. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's crazy. This is that there's that much people in these areas and it's just so dense where it's like you can't, you're basically breathing on top of each other and it's just why it's so spread and you have so much death here. And, St and Stefan, I noticed you were mentioning something about trauma earlier in the show. Is that something you experienced yourself working in the healthcare system? Of course, of course, um, and that is certainly. Um, I mean, we all have our our unique stories, and but trauma is often the the leading cause for us to seek to escape our reality. And for me, it was just that kind of type A personality: work, 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 and I could never switch off. But uh, it was. With hindsight, I obviously used work to maybe run away from negative emotions that personally I was not able to deal with. So it was work, work, and then when I came home, it was drink, drink uh, to to basically then numb myself or simply deal with the fatigue. Alcohol has a weird effect on me. It is uh, is give me three glasses of wine and suddenly, bing, there's the second wind and I can clean up the garage or do whatever I need to do. Despite the fact that I've just done 16 hours on my feet and suddenly, bang, let's put some good music on. Excellently. And I've escaped my reality. It's beautiful. The next day, different story. Uh, so, but trauma, trauma is something, unfortunately, that, that we all experience in our fields, like it or lump it. 
I remember I was I was considering for a time to become an intensivist, uh, so intensive care physician, and I did six months intensive care. And I had, after a night shift, I had a day off and I thought in the morning, okay, have breakfast and watch a film. And I put Forrest Gump in. And within five minutes, I was crying. And I couldn't stop crying throughout the whole film. <laughs> that gave me a bit of an idea. Okay, <laughs> burnout, hello. <laughs> that was the reality for me. So, yes. Trauma, um, absolutely, uh, in many different forms um, throughout my life. Fortunately, there is, uh, I've had a bit of a shit show for life um, from early on, and it is, you know, things add up. And we often turn, turn, I don't know, we, 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 we have got a supercomputer up there, but no one has ever given us a user manual. So therefore, we are sort of tapping away on the keyboard and see what works. Oh, that feels good. What was that? Vodka. Ah, now here we go. <laughs> we have got a little bit of a stuff, and I think I, I think it cut off a little bit. The last thing I heard it. Oh, it's a supercomputer, vodka, and you're putting in the keys. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and you put in the keys, and you try to to you know see what happens and suddenly think wow that feels good what did i just press and it was ah vodka that's good so now we know how to feel good and unfortunately remember we are we are nurses we are doctors we treat essentially anything that any emergency i treat with a syringe so a syringe is a very powerful thing and it's very logical for a nurse or a doctor to also say, bloody hell, um, if that helps the pain for this patient, maybe it also helps my pain in my heart. So, therefore, drugs, alcohol, um, certain behaviors, such as sleep with everything that moves and has a heartbeat, um, just to get that quick fix of dopamine, and I'm getting loved, um, gambling, anything goes. But we doctors and, and nurses are particularly fond of the alcohol. There's no way around that. And unfortunately, um, also recreational drugs and those drugs that we use actually in our daily practice. So all that is is very much on the cards for a healthcare professional. 100%. Like nurses, um, I remember coming off night shift and every time we would do a three in a row, we'd get breakfast beers, you know. So we'd go, we work three nights in a row, you know, and then we get off shift at 7.30 in the morning and we go straight to the bar you know, drink there till like noon and then go home, go to sleep and then wake up and same thing. And then, then you go out. And it's just like you said, it's, it's like coping almost because it's almost like we treat people in a hospital with, like you said, with these drugs and stuff. And subconsciously we're treating ourselves with the with, with similar substances as well. But to a certain degree, there's also a bonding. There is the, the, the alcohol serves a purpose. It is making us relax. It is giving us a social way of of just disinhibition and actually talking about a case that otherwise maybe you would have would have just you know internalized and, and not spoken about it. So there is a positive aspect to it. Okay, and we we keep forgetting that. So when we talk about alcoholism, when we talk about um, people trying to escape their reality, there is a good reason that we do that. Uh, so they are the underlying causes of trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression. And they are very powerful drivers. So if you don't deal with the underlying reasons, then and you just stop drinking or stop gambling, 
well, that's then when you become a dry drunk. And a dry drunk is essentially you're still the same addict and you're still going through hell. You're just not drinking. That's the only difference. Whilst if you need to address the underlying problems, the trauma, the PTSD. And sometimes that can be incredibly hard. In my case, for example, one of the traumas was that I was uh, the victim of a gang assault. So wrong place, wrong time. Um, and well, the rest is history. My front teeth are artificial um, because someone wanted to have a good time and beat me up. I was 13 when I was 13 years old and uh, within a month I was training martial arts and I became quite you know, engrossed in that. I was training four hours a day and became a really, really good fighter. Um, and that was then. Needless to say, I had not dealt with the trauma. And later on, me being an anesthetist and, and being the, the kind of knight in shining armor, I was taking back control this way. So I was always in control. When I looked around with hindsight, it was the writing was on a wall for crying out loud. Hypervigilant, um, shit sleep, flashbacks, uh, all that kind of stuff. Did I recognize it? No. I disguised it quite nicely in my head because here I was the anesthetist, constantly aware of everything, completely in control. Uh, you know, I was the guy, and I still am the guy. I don't sit with my back against places I don't know what's behind me. I sit against the wall, and I know where the exits are, etc. And, and I, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, that's that's common sense. That's really good. <sighs> Fuck me. It was PTSD. And it took me until I was, odd oh, three, four years ago that I actually realized that. A friend of mine, or a colleague of mine, uh, was ex-Special Forces, and he went through a nasty bout of PTSD to a degree that I worried about his life. So, and then one day he came back, and after a week of, of mental health, time out, and he said, it's okay, it's going to be fine now. And the way he said it, I thought, oh, shit. He's trying to top himself. He said, no, 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 I've, I've had help there. And uh, that's it. And I thought, yeah. And he said, look, I'm going to be fine. And in my mind, I was going through, you're kidding me. Here you are, hypervigilant, uh, flashbacks, anxiety. And I was, as I was reeling it off, I suddenly realized, huh, that's me. And then I observed him. And within a week, he was a different man. And within a month, most of the things were gone. And I took him aside and said, how the hell did you deal with that? Tell me a bit more. And he basically had the help of a hypnotherapist and a, a coach, a very, very good woman. And I saw her, had three sessions of hypnotherapy and those three o'clock in the morning dreams and waking up were gone. But the important bit is I didn't recognize it, that I was suffering from it. And I think that is the key. Um, that is the key when it comes to addiction, when it comes to those kind of mental health problems. You often don't see it. I didn't, I didn't diagnose the depression in me. I could see it a mile away in everyone else, but not in myself. And that's really why... We doctors, we nurses need a GP, a family physician. We need a team of others that look after us. And we are so bad in that. We are utterly, utterly uh, 
idiots as far as looking after ourselves is concerned. We think we know it all. The problem is, even when you talk about mental health, that only shows what is on the forefront of your mind at that moment in time. But what about those things that you are not saying? And that is that is exactly where I think it is so important that we look after ourselves uh, with the help of a coach, with the help of a GP or family physician, someone who knows you and someone who can actually say, hey, look, are you all right? Uh, let's measure your blood pressure. Tell me a bit you now what's going on in your life. Um, and suddenly you realize, oh, shit, uh, a lot of things are actually going wrong. And it's those kind of things. So, so dear viewers, listeners, guys, don't be dicks. Uh, just, just look after yourself. Make an appointment, uh, even if you're not sick. Make an appointment with your GP, and actually do do a health check, and you might suddenly find, oh shoot. Not my best friend. He just is an anesthetist like me, same hospital. And he went for a, a different private insurance. So he went through a medical screening. And suddenly he found out he's got diabetes, his cholesterol is through the roof, and uh, some other issues. And he thought, what the hell? And he's definitely living a healthier life than I do. Uh, but his genes betrayed him a little bit. So he kicked ass and, and his, his, all his markers are now superb, but he had no clue. So how long do you want to run around, have no clue, whilst the diabetes is meanwhile sort of, you know, <laughs> your eyesight, <laughs> where are I? <laughs> Why can't I see this, this computer screen anymore? <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy because I see it all the time, like healthcare professionals, great at giving advice and i and i'm kind of the same way great at giving advice but horrible at taking your own advice so you preach all this positivity all this stuff to your patients to your co-workers but when it comes to doing it yourself it's the hardest thing in the world it's crazy how that <laughs> exactly. works exactly isn't it and you go to your patient you know these these tablets are really really quite potent so eat half of one really half of one always with food and here we are as doctors. Give me that glass of wine. Oh, let's take five of them. Arr, arr. <laughs> yeah. Arr. <laughs> right. It's, it's crazy how that works. And the whole thing with like, with like the mind, you know, how we can go with like undiagnosed hypertension, undiagnosed diabetes for years and years and years. Same with the mind. We could go with undiagnosed anxiety, undiagnosed depression is because if I'm feeling one way for, for five years, six years, seven years, and I don't get it checked out, then that's like almost your new norm. That's like your, 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 your new baseline. That's how your body knows to, to perform. It, it adapts. It's almost like, a, it's like an almost a mechanism for your own safety because you can't keep thinking anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Your body's going to eventually let go of, of saying anxiety, anxiety, but you're still going to feel that. It's just like your body trying to make sure you could, you could still live and function. So that's like your new normal. And that's what's very scary. Exactly. And as I said, then the alcohol or your other coping mechanisms, they very much play a role. They very much, you try to somehow deal with the stress, uh, let off steam, decompress of sorts. Um, so yeah, don't forget that. And we need to exchange that. For that, you need to know uh, new techniques. For that, you need to actually expose yourself to mindfulness, to, to yoga, martial arts, whatever your way your introduction to a new life is you need to deal with that and you need to to be in an environment where that is fostered um so there's a lot of of 
of truth in the fact that sometimes you need to walk away from your previous life and also the previous the people that were within your life um many of us we drink too much with deep down we know it that we drink too much so therefore what do you do you you surround yourself with other people who equally drink too much so that it doesn't look as bad anymore you know i'm an alcoholic no look at joe over there oh, he is an alcoholic me i'm i just a social drinker i'm just very social you know um those that's kind of bullshit um and here we are we normalize that behavior whatever that behavior is we normalize by surrounding ourselves with other people and i mean one of the examples is i mean if you if you look at people's social media feeds and you see uh, often enough these kind of funny memes of uh summer it is wine o'clock or um a, a meal without wine is called breakfast or those kind of things so making jokes about uh, alcohol consumption is again a way of normalizing it and somehow proving to yourself that it's okay to have this bucks fizz or whatever you wish to have or your noble okay so a bit of a glass of champagne for breakfast that's beautiful that's lifestyle isn't it yeah in reality it's the eye opener because without that you actually you're not really feeling so well um and that's the reality. It's also crazy seeing patients that are normal uh, that come in for elective procedure and then like three days later they get the procedure but then they also go into alcohol withdrawals and they don't realize what the heck's happening and they thought they were, yeah. they've been just fine all along. You know, nothing's going on. I has got a kidney stone from being dehydrated for too much. Um, and, and you noticed, you said that you noticed this from a mile away. So if you were kind of kind of looking back at this whole situation and all your life events and being a little bit more self-aware, what, what would you say were those like triggers or urges or things that you realized that you pinpointed as like symptoms of PTSD or, um, hey, I think I have a problem? <sighs> the moment, ah, uh, forever I was waking up four o'clock, like on the dot, bing, with this kind of best of Stefan, um, everything I've done wrong in the last 40 years. Uh, it's a great reel and it keeps going on repeat. Um, so it is my my two sons know damn well when we are driving in a car and I suddenly go and they say, oh, another flashback. And I said, yeah, it's okay. And it was, you know, these kind of things that that was my life. That was normal. That was, you know, uh, so with hindsight, um the writing is on the wall i didn't see it they get cut off a little bit there stefan but we heard uh writing on the wall good the trauma uh is you normalize it therefore what do you do you you somehow make up mental constructs to actually accept it as okay yeah Yes, I was I was assaulted. Yes, I feared for my life. Yes, I somehow evaded that that knife, and yeah, uh, and it's all good. Uh, and that's that kind of of mental, um, yeah, bullshit. What is happening? So you you disguise signs and symptoms, and you don't recognize them for what they are. That was at least the case with me. Um, there were many other aspects of trauma, many other 
lesser traumas. It's not only ever one thing. And let's be quite clear for PTSD. PTSD can occur after any kind of event. It's important that to realize that PTSD, that you don't have to see your friend blown up on the battlefield with the guts hanging out over your head. Nah, um, that can be as simple as a unwanted sexual approach by someone. Um, it could be as simple as a road traffic accident. We keep underestimating the amount of PTSD that you see. It's probably 30% after a major road traffic accident, an MVA, um, that people suffer from PTSD. And you can't predict it, um, who suffers it and who doesn't. It is all a matter of, of you know, accumulation of factors. But bottom line is PTSD is actually quite prevalent out there. And we just often don't recognize it for what it is. So number one, and then even if we recognize it for what it is, who has got the money to see a psychologist, a, a therapist, uh, any kind of coaching um, that who knows what he is doing. Maybe you can't even get that help in the system that you are. Certainly here in New Zealand, uh, my son went for a bit of a hard time. Uh, we tried to get some psychology help for him. Oh, it took months until we could find something. So that's the reality with with what we are facing. So there are many reasons why people don't get the help that they need. And unfortunately, therefore, it becomes the new normal. It becomes the new you. And it's just, it's shit. Let's, 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 that's where we need to be careful. And that's where we need to actually open up the discussion with others. That's where we need to be very, very frank and open and say, you know, it's okay not to be okay. That's where we need to be open with ourselves and with others to say it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to not seek help. It's, that's the important bit. So be a man, be a, be a woman, go out there and seek help and just be open. Just, it's the hardest thing you can do. But once you have done it to speak out, it's the most oh, beautiful thing that happens. The first time I said out in public, hi, I'm Stefan, I'm an alcoholic. Wow. That's when the floodgates opened. And it was beautiful. It was in rehab for me. And remember, there was a lot of trauma, also trauma related to the work that I was doing. At the time, I was a pain physician. I was fighting hard for my patients where funding was not there, etc. So I became, I tried to rescue everyone. And I had to realize, I can't do that. But here I was still trying, trying, trying. And um, this kind of, 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 mental mental stress is just uh it it drives you nuts it will absolutely get you and i've lost the train of thought because <laughs> you're getting unstable in the time. It, it, it seems like it took a lot of vulnerability for you to start opening up and vulnerability took took a lot for you because you know your trauma created a an external threat. So you have you had to learn how to create the safety within yourself in order for you to start being vulnerable and opening yourself up to 
um, your past and your emotions that were just bottled up because of the the unsafety that your b- body and technically mind felt. And and, and uh, when I'm hearing about the situation, it's almost like your past event uh, create threat in your external environment. And it took a while for you to cultivate that safety and that vulnerability and the openness for you to to e- express yourself that way because you were just kind of all bottling it in, you know? Remember, as a doctor and as a nurse, there are so many gag clauses in your contracts. You are not allowed to talk negative about the system. You're supposed to deal with it within the system and shut up, basically. And that is the problem when you're working in toxic environments. And to a certain degree, that was the case for me. So here I was trying to be the knight in shining armor for my patients and essentially it was it was a nightmare because i was biting the hand that fed me so that didn't go well so and it is is that kind of thing there were so many things i wanted to say and i was not allowed to say so when i then was in rehab and i said those magic words hi i'm stefan i'm an alcoholic and suddenly people were not looking at me with disgust and shame, uh, but rather said, hi, Stefan, welcome. Wow, what a new thing. And for the next week, I was singing like a canary. Everyone and everyone heard my story and then some. Um, so, and it was so beautiful, so releasing and so wonderful. But again, it was so important that I actually had to write guidance because my, my case manager in the rehab hospital, she asked me one day to write a letter in detail outlining my grief a certain institution. And I went to town. I mean, I, I went for it. And I wrote and wrote most of the, the evening and into the night. And the next day I came to her here. Look, let's talk. Let's talk. I tell you everything about it. And she took the paper and looked at it and then folded it neatly in half and put it aside. And said, okay, now that we've done that, let's talk about you. And I said, but, 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 uh, uh, uh. and it was crazy. Um, and I was so stinking mad with her. This is why I drink. Look, look how they, they treated me. And I show them by drinking a bottle of vodka a day. And you think, yeah, okay, that actually sounds really stupid, doesn't it? But it was that kind of thing. I didn't see it. I didn't see that. I was, uh, she saw what was going on. So she removed that factor out of my life. And we dealt with my negative emotions. We dealt with the resentment, the anger, the grief, those kind of things that you normally don't deal with, that you try to wash down with a beer, um, you know, those kind of things. And that was the most important bit, to actually open up. And it's amazing what comes out of your mouth. That's where journaling is such a good thing, to write actually something down. Force yourself to just free write. And sometimes you, you astound yourself, something flows out of your fingers and you think, what did I just write? What the hell? So as if your subconscious wants to seek a way out. And that is exactly why you need a therapist where uh, someone who looks out for you can be so powerful by asking the right questions. Not just, how are you? And, you know, fine, good, no. 
So no, we need to look after ourselves as doctors, as nurses. And you, we really need to do that. And we are bad in it. So therefore, you guys out there, if you listen to this, go out there. Honestly, be a man and, and look yourself hard. In, 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 look in your, in your mirror and think, are you really the person you want to be? And if you're not, what would it take? Who is that person that you want to be? The, create this very clear vision in your mind and then try to figure out why are you not there? What is, what is missing? And then take one measurable step every day, every second, every hour. You, have, you get to make choices. So it's up to you which choices you make. You can either work on your recovery or you can work on your relapse as far as your, your addiction goes. The same as with regards to you can work on your depression against it or <laughs> you can let yourself ride into the depression. You make the choices. So therefore, that is so important. That's powerful. And, and how are you taking steps consistently today every single day for yourself what is your journey like i'm having a ball of a time i actually try to really look after myself i use nutrition to really help myself i use quite a lot of nutraceuticals uh, so if people tell you that vitamin tablets are a waste of time no they're not um they are just a little piece of information. I mean, the, what we are talking is about the, the recommended daily requirements um, for for certain vitamins, etc. They are just delineating disease from not disease. This is not about you fueling your body to the top, to the best way. So if you want to be the best, then... Look at your nutrition, look at your sleep, look at your hydration, look at your stress levels, look at your mental health, look at those things that are really important. So nowadays, my life is beautiful because I actually realize that I have got a gift and that gift is that I get to make choices. And there will be times that are hard, no doubt, but at the same token, there are the choices that I can make each and every second and that is leading me to become a new man. And every day I try to be a little bit better than yesterday. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's not. And it's just, but I get to make choices and I reap the benefits of it. I love that. And I love, I love being the new me, uh, no longer, no longer a, a victim of my negative emotions, but I work on those emotions. And just the last, last little tip for you guys out there, please learn that anger, resentment, those kind of things, take them as messengers, take them as, as old friends. Don't be angry about them. Just say, okay, where's this anger coming from? Okay. So if I get really angry, then I think, huh, okay. I stop for a moment, I pause. Am I hungry? Am I angry, lonely, tired? What's going on here? So look at it like messages from your body, these negative emotions, and see, have you been again burning the candle on both ends? 
those kind of things. So no, 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 no. This is, uh, it is, uh, learn what your body tries to tell you because it constantly gives you feedback. We just don't see it as such. We somehow get angry about certain things that happen. Yeah, that is your body, warts and all. Um, that's your mind, your soul. So you might as well get to know it. You've got only one body, one mind, one soul. You might as well treat it in the best way and, and get on with your life to the full. I like how you mention all that because uh, that's something that I've been discovering in my journey when I'm like understanding beliefs in the body. It's like, you know, our, our soul is interconnected with our body and it's literally sending us feedback signals to uh, different parts of our bodies to give us like feedback of the way we're feeling, just like... Uh, anxiety is usually this, uh, you know, tightness in the chest, or if you're feeling a specific uh, emotion, it might be a little bit more central in the stomach, right? Anxiety is, you know, your stomach starts churning and people get IBS eventually and all these different things because it's uncontrolled energy. And a lot of us, when we get this feedback from our body, we just suppress it. You know, we, we drink some caffeine when we're feeling tired, but really you maybe you need some sleep or um, you know, this, this emotion came up, but I'm going to go have a damn sweet snack and you, you forget about it because those are different coping mechanisms that you, um, that you're creating for yourself. And, you know, you gain so much weight, but really it's this negative emotion that you had or self-limiting belief that you kept trying to sweep underneath the rug for years and years. And here I am, this, you know, big guy, nothing against, um, um fat people or anything, but that's just the coping that we have when your body is trying to send you signals constantly to fix the damn thing, you know? So thank you. So thank you so much guys for having me on your show. I'm really, really grateful. You're doing such a great job there by raising all this awareness among nursing staff and to, to actually bring guests on who can share their journey and in turn, maybe open the mind of a nurse listening to you to actually say, huh, what he or she just said rings very much a bell. So hopefully we all can be be torches of, of light in the darkness of someone out there. So thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, it is, um, I, if I may, uh, there is, I have got a website, mystepstosobriety.com. And I invite any of the, the nurses uh, to go over there, have a look. That is immediately where you can get the link to my book, which is the same, My Steps to Sobriety. Um, but there's also, there are other projects I'm working on. One of them is a, a multi-author book that I'm recruiting authors for, co-authors for. Um, that is uh, basically about burnout in nursing. So that will ring a lot of bells out there amongst your, your listeners. Um, so guys, if, if, if you want to tell your story and you want to come on board as a co-author, 5,000 words, I'm looking for 16 offers. This is an exciting, exciting thing that we do. Uh, so it would be nice to, to just tell the story as it is. That is our duty to, to, role model and being a role model means opening up and being transparent showing integrity humility and actually telling it is for what it is so yes that that would be nice so if some of you want to come across and have a look at mystepstosobriety.com you will find all the information about me there great awesome. great stuff and i will link things in our show notes as well and in the description for anybody that wants to click on that so 
Uh, pleasure having you on, and we definitely have to do a part two. Thank you for your Fantastic. Time. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Stefan. You guys look after yourself, okay? Yeah. Take care, man. Bye.